0: The intro song, Fishing for Pets, is written and composed by Alan Goldsher from his latest release live at the Lakeview Lounge. Hey guys, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Today, ALT meets Alts. I spoke with Leo Avadar, the founder and CEO of ALT, which is an online platform for trading cards with an exchange, weekly auctions, and vaulting services. ALT is also pioneering lending services for alternative assets and started a multi-million dollar fund composed of blue chip trading cards. This is a good one about the card industry, but we also have a discussion around investment grade assets and the notable rise in the alternative assets industry. All right, guys. So uh, today we got a great guest. We got the founder and CEO of Alt, Lior Avidar. Uh, Lior, thank you for being on the podcast.
1: Yeah, excited to be here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know. There's so many things to talk about, really, and I just want to say that you were one of the guys that kind of um, opened my eyes a little bit when I first listened to you a couple of months ago about trading cards in terms of like scarcity and you know low pop cards. And so I just wanted to you know throw that out there that you're really kind of one of the guys that was kind of moving that needle a little bit.
1: Appreciate that.
0: So you know you have uh, this great platform, alt uh, trading card platform. You have your uh, auctions there as well. But I kind of wanted to, to do a little. As always, kind of an origin story about how it is that you got to Alt. What it was about trading cards that kind of interested you, but even before that, you know the businesses that you had built. So I'm I'm wondering if you could kind of take us through that.
1: Yeah, so I started Alt in May of 2020. But even to back up a little bit further, I've been building businesses um, honestly my entire career. You know, I started my career on Wall Street and then worked for AWS for probably a year and a change together. But then started my first company, Lob, in 2013. So it's really all that I know. And I would say, you know, starting my career on Wall Street and studying engineering, I've always been fascinated with with two things. One is just arbitrage. That's why I love Wall Street. My dad was a trader and just figuring out all these exotic assets and pricing and how to you know, buy low and sell high. That was always the dream. And then the automation part always got me excited because I, at least my first dream was to figure out how do you automate the buying low and sell high so that you can just build some sort of machine that would just trade money. So, yeah, I I found my way to Wall Street um, and then found that I loved automation a little bit more. Uh, And when I was at AWS, I saw the opportunity to start a company called Lob, which basically does exactly what uh, AWS did, but allowed people to send direct mail at scale. And so that was a really exciting opportunity. I've been doing that for 10 years. And then when the pandemic hit, I had been... Basically buying and selling cards for their five years and more just just for fun. Um, I got into it because my dad had sent me a bunch of cards uh, when they moved, and just like you hear a lot of the origin stories of how a lot of people get into trading cards. You know, you get a box, you open it up, and you fall in love with a card that you had 15 years ago. Yeah, and so uh, yeah, I started buying and selling them. Um, I started making a lot of money. I got I started seeing it in a different light. I would say than when I was a kid. Like all of a sudden, I started calculating the odds and expected value. Started tracking the prices. I got very invested in kind of keeping the spreadsheets. And right when I started alt, I actually had amassed a massive, pretty large collection. And because of, of of the pandemic, I decided, hey, I, w- I want to go buy, get into some real estate. How do I take all the all the wealth that I created in trading cards, and how do I go actually diversify into another asset class? Uh, and the crazy part was that I could not get a loan from any bank. And that's where it kind of hit me. This is a new asset class. It's widely tradable. billion gets traded every single year. How is there no platform like a Coinbase or uh, a Robinhood where I can go and trade these assets, get a loan against them and start tracking my investments? And that's kind of where it hit me. I was like, wait a second, I know a lot about this. This kind of combines all the skills that I've been building for the last 10 years. I want to go out and do that. And so that kind of what got me started to, to think about alt and that problem that I felt, I realized I wasn't the only one that had that problem. So many of my friends who had collected other stuff, whether it was sneakers, watches, art, or were angel investors, you know, everyone had made money in some of these assets, but there was just no liquidity or transparency uh, in these markets. And so whenever there's a big pain, I, I'm a little, I'm pretty stubborn. I, if no one solves it fast enough, that's where I go out and start solving it myself.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. You know, I wouldn't expect a bank to necessarily look at my, my card collection and say okay we we'll, we we'll, we'll lend against that but it's funny like those of us that are in in the in the industry you know where that follow the industry really know the worth or the value of these cards right it's almost like you need to be in it to really understand like no this is like the, a real legit asset just like just like a house
1: yeah it's the same thing that happened about 8 or 9 years ago with like crypto people were starting to get into it you know the hobbyists the insiders understood the value the markets where they were traded, but none of the big players that are in it today were in it. And I think slowly it got institutionalized, and people started building financial products around it. I mean, the big bet that I'm taking is I think this category of alternative assets and you know collectibles is just just one piece of it. I think it's a growing category mainly because those markets are uncorrelated to the S and P, and people are looking for that. And then also there's just a ton of passion, nostalgia culture associated with these assets, um, which does create a really unique market dynamic that does increase the prices in the long run.
0: Let's talk a little bit about Alt, you know, the platform. I know you guys have, a, a, you know, your, your auctions are, are really are really big. Um, I know we actually, you know, use a lot of your auctions as like the results to make good comps for our readers. But let's also talk about like the other services that you have there. If you could just kind of walk us through Alt and how you, you built it. One of the things that I'm really kind of impressed with, it's sort of like the transparency, right? Cause like you'll, you'll have a card listed and they can list it, you know, it could be listed for, for whatever amount of money, but along with that will be the alt price. Right. And a lot of times I found looking at the site, that price is lower than, you know, than what it's selling for. So I, I really, really appreciate that. Um, I'm wondering if you could take me through that whole thinking of how you built the site. Yeah. So maybe we'll
1: just start off with kind of the product. So at a high level, alt is a platform that allows you to invest and borrow in uh, alternative assets. So, we have uh, three main product lines. We have our exchange business, very much just a, a traditional marketplace. We have fixed priced items, so anyone can list it uh, at, at any price. And then we have our auctions product. So, if you want, every week we, we host an auction. You can send your, some, your, your items to, to auction uh, and people can bid on them. So, that's kind of our, our exchange product. We have our lending product, which allows people to take a loan against any one of those assets creating more liquidity. So if you do have a sizable portfolio and you want to go and invest in another card or diversify into real estate or you know, use it to pay for uh, you know, a kid's college education, uh, we have a product for that. And then the last one is our funds product. This is where we allow people, uh, mostly high net worth individuals, accredited investors and institutions to invest in basically blue chip uh, assets in every category that we launch. So we have a, a massive, almost $40 million fund just dedicated to sports cards. Wow. Uh, so those are kind of the, the three core funds. And then in terms of like how we built out the, the site and I would say like what we care about the most, the first big thing, and you touched upon it, is that transparency and visibility. We spent a lot of time making sure that we could get any time an item was sold anywhere across the web that Alt had that data and that it was clean data. You know, if an it, item didn't, didn't get paid, we want to make sure that we don't have it in our system and so, if we can get that most accurate data, we can start triangulating and figuring out what is that alt value. Now, in the early days, I always talked about how the alt value—the goal was to be the zestimate, but for alternative assets. Yeah, the more that we can actually cater that alt value, what we're actually doing is we're stabilizing the market. I don't think people always realize that new markets need stability, they need support, they need confidence. Uh, and so, by giving this triangulation, we're allowing people to say, "Hey, like this is this is a fair price." Like, if you needed to sell something, here's how much. T- most likely there is a there is a buyer out there who will pay for this item
0: love the transparency and I that idea about keeping the market balanced those are two things I kind of want to touch on the the thing I want to kind of go back on is that that lending product that you have I'm wondering like what kind of cards do do users need to have maybe to take out a loan against their collection you know are we talking about like you know a couple hundred dollar cards you know um, or are we talking about like these blue chip assets that are 10 20k maybe more? Yeah. So, uh, we'll lend against
1: any asset class. It's more about a portfolio of assets. So in most people these days, you know, they don't just have one card. So we'll look at the diversity of the portfolio. You know, we, we will separate out what we believe is an investment grade card from just a commodity card. One of the things that I've been uh, teaching people is that the card market is not a single segment. It actually, different parts of the market behave very differently. And I think these days we're, we're quite seeing that there is the, uh, high-pop commodity product, these are your prism bases, you know, where there's 30,000, those aren't really collectibles. Those are very much just uh, merch of, of, of players. And so those generally do not appreciate their, they very much kind of fluctuate ar- around the same price. Whereas the investment grade stuff, generally, I would say, truly investment grade is when the pop is less than 100 and there's a serial number and it's generally graded between a BGS- nine, five and a PSA 10, those items, the market for that is very stable. And so we generally try to focus on the investment grade market.
0: Yeah. Can you further, can you refine that a little bit even more like an investment grade, right? When you refer to like the population, are you talking about even a certain card where there's more than a hundred made, but the, there's only been a certain number graded a 10 or a nine, or are you talking about just, you know, cards that there were more than a hundred made?
1: Yeah. So, and, you know, and again, this is my definition of investment grade. I think it, it'll change in there. It's more of a, a, a scale, right? And so I would say like the, just the cutoff for investment grade is a very easy one. And again, there's, there's exceptions to this rule. If the serial number, if it's, there's less than a hundred, I would say it's generally investment grade, regardless of the grade uh, it's, it's an investment grade card. Then if you start layering on PSA 10 and BGS 95, you'll get even, obviously it's even more rare, more investment grade, but I would still consider an item that's low, like there's limited supply of less than a hundred in an investment grade card. You
0: know, and you really are echoing what I kind of referenced at the opening of the podcast, you know, this idea of when the world was going crazy and slabbing all these base prisms, they kind of overlooked you know, the basics and it all comes down to scarcity.
1: Exactly. Right?
0: And, and I find that interesting. What, what are your thoughts on that now? Because I, I find that now, like there's so many parallels, right? Like a set can have 10, 15 different parallels, number, you know, 25, 55, whatever the case is. Has the market diluted to that? And were cards different, made differently, manufactured differently, even just a couple of years ago?
1: So I don't think the parallels got diluted. That might be the wrong way of thinking about it. For that particular set, there's more people who can get rare cards. And so the supply of that overall set is higher. I guess that is dilution. Yeah, you're right. You are. It is pretty diluted. I think people still chase those cards. The parallels do gamify things pretty well. Like, you know, I'm a big collector of rainbows. I know other people like being able to collect one of the different colors, people to have different preferences on color. So I actually really like the the gamification of what's been going on. I think what Hasn't been done well is I think they've gotten too caught up in the gamification and they've lost out on some of the aesthetics. I think it's very obvious when a set does well. I wish the manufacturers would do a little better job on the like the artist artistry. Like my belief in uh, in the next ten years is what you'll see is you'll see a kind of a, a change in the manufacturing of these assets, kind of like sneakers, where a lot of artists will come in. I feel like we'll, we'll get some really cool cultural artists who will come in help design some of the products. Even maybe some of the athletes will get involved. And so we'll start seeing a lot more personality. And so that every year, you're not just chasing a card that looks the same thing with like 10% variation from the year before. There's actually a little bit more personality associated or there'll be hopefully more story. Maybe just to shed a little bit more light on how I think about like rarity. What we do internally is we look at a whole bunch of different variables and we rank them. I think the first one is like when you look at the brand, every brand right? They're kind of falling into a couple of different categories. You got your tier one brands. I always say like uh, right now, National Treasures, Flawless, and I'll put Panini Prism on there are really on a tier of its own. Like those are the mainstream brands, right? Then you got your tier two brands. Then there's always some tier three brands. Maybe it's a new one that Panini is launching or an off brand. And so I always say investment grade, you got to be in that top one, that top quartile. The second one is the, the rarity that we were talking about. So the first bifurcation is serial number, not serial number. I don't think you can have an investment grade card that doesn't have a serial number. That's just a, a personal thing. I'll say it. I don't think the Michael Jordan 1986 is a rare card. It's an expensive card. I don't think it's a rare card. Like the market just completely like bottomed out on that one.
0: There are actually a ton of, of Jordan 86s. It's, it's, it's all about that. And then that's why we go back to the, the PSA grade, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and even in the PSA grade, there's a lot more than people think. Like if you want one, you can get one, right? And what we want is if you want one, you can't get one. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. That's, that's generally like if, if we think about a card, if it's easily accessible, I mean, it, it can be investment grade, but it's not really like cream of the crop card.
0: Okay. That's the first time I've, I've heard that. Do you think like a card like that is sort of like a bellwether? You know, that, that card reached, I don't know, 700,
1: 750, something like that.
0: 750 and now it's kind of they're getting auctioned off you know give or take for about 210 220 right um which is not bad for you know <laughs> i'll take 220k for a our, for our trading card but um it just kind of shows kind of how how far up the industry went and now like you mentioned before you know hey the 220 is still well above what it was you know say two three years ago
1: yeah yeah i don't know it's it's tough people always ask me like should i buy the jordan card it's it's a nostalgic card right like if you grew up watching michael jordan this is this is the Michael Jordan card and it's in the best condition. And so you want that, right? But that doesn't mean that the value is going to go up. Like if you want a rare Michael Jordan card, like the Michael Jordan PMG red or green are to me, much better investments than the, the 86 Jordan, but people might not know that card. Right. And so it's a completely different market. You know, sometimes I say, what are you, are you trying to make money or are you trying to collect something? And depending on that answer, right? It'll lead to different results. I just bought a card yesterday. I just bought it because I loved it. I did not buy it because it was going to go up. I bought a Hakeem Long card. Yeah. First Hakeem card I ever had, but I just liked how it looked.
0: (laughs) So, you know, you don't have to tell me exactly, but do you mind sharing like, what what was it about it that's so nice, you know?
1: Yeah. So I had a Hakeem Logoman on it. So it's a National Treasures Logoman autograph. There's only one of one on it. So I love rarity and I liked how it looked. So this particular set I like National Treasures. Don't like all of the years. This one particularly, I bought the Kevin Durant oven. So I I like pairing cards. It's kind of like a cool, cool chase of mine is finding like one or two cards that look alike and kind of pairing them up.
0: Yeah. Quick aside, like what do you do with these cards? Because I'm having trouble like when I buy my cards and I'm not buying logo, you know, one of one logo mans, but I love looking at them. And then I kind of put them away, you know, for a little bit. And then I'll go back and I'll look at them because it's therapy for me almost. Are you able to display all these awesome cards you have?
1: So... Not yet. Right now they all sit in the vault, but one of the things I'm working on is a pop-up museum. You know, we own some of the world's largest or most expensive cards, most amazing collection of cards, and they are not meant to be sitting in a vault. So I'm exploring a lot of different ways for us to go out and and share those cards, whether it's a one-time pop-up museum at something like the Nationals um, or a longer-term exhibit. But, you know, you want to share these with people. Kids love looking at them. I like looking at them. I don't want them to just like you know, be sitting on the, looking at the inside walls of a, of a safe. Uh, and then separately, there's a lot of cool companies that are starting to build out ways for people to display cards. And so I'm excited to see that innovation. I might even jump into it to, ha- to help out, but yeah, I do want to be able to showcase them whether they're on the walls or on a desk or something like that.
0: Let's talk about another, another aspect of alt and which is, you know, the, the vaulting. And I, I want to touch on that because surprisingly for me, um, I find that it's sort of a controversial thing it's a very convenient service that companies offer, you know, but there's also like uh, this segment of the of the industry that's kind of like, you're basically handing off your cars to somebody else. And I'm wondering if you could kind of talk about how vaulting is almost like a, you know, you're not the only company with a vault, but how it really is like a, I don't want to say game changer, but how it's so much more better for a collector, you know, what the advantages are for a collector.
1: So I wouldn't say it's better. So I'll, maybe I'll frame it a little bit different. I think vaulting is a commoditized product to be quite honest, you know, Vaulting is just like when you go to a bank and you deposit dollars. Why aren't you keeping your dollars under your your mattress, right? Why do you keep them at a bank, right? So it, it's the exact same reason where you know why do you want to keep your cards in, in a vault? Is it allows you to do a lot of different things. So one, you can buy and sell them a lot easier. You can get loans against them, uh, and so when you're trying to take an action against your asset, right? you do need that third party and it needs to be a trusted third party. And for the third party to be able to kind of trust you, you need to have that asset. That's one of the big reasons why people hate eBay is the amount of unpaid uh, transactions is just getting larger by the day. Buyers aren't paying sellers, aren't sending the cards. You can't have that in a mature industry like this. And so I'm not saying you should send every single one of your cards to a vault, but when you do want to sell it, that's the best way, the most, trustworthy way I would say to be able to sell an item that said I don't think any single person you know unless you're just doing it for investment purposes if you want to see your card right you you want to have one or two at home uh, and so we just make it just like a bank right you have money in your wallet right when you want to put it away you give it to the bank account it should be the exact same relationship with all
0: for sure that's, that's a great way of putting it I kind of wanted to go back into what you mentioned before about you know displaying the cards um, which would kind of lead us into this next discussion but you guys have big plans, right? Alt is right now you're, you're ultra focused on, on trading cards. If I can say so myself, you know, you, you have a thesis here about, about trading cards as part of the larger collectible industry. Why did you begin with, with trading cards? And obviously I know that you had, you know, you started collecting, you know, a few years ago, but what is it about collectible cards that then can kind of open that gateway to other collectibles?
1: Yeah. So the beauty about starting your own business is you obviously can decide which markets you can go into. Um, so you know, cards out of passion, very excited about them. But from a business standpoint, the TAM or the total size of the market is quite large. And so given the expertise and the size of the market, it just made sense. Like we, we really do believe that we can deliver the best product for our customers. Like nothing out there fits what we think the current customer needs. And so that's the vision that we're building towards on cards. When we feel like we have uh, hit our vision within cards, we will start going into other asset classes you know we've already started dabbling in other asset classes we're always learning about other asset classes on the lending side we do a little bit more uh, on other class uh, other asset classes already same thing on the funds product but to bring a full on exchange and support another asset class we want to make sure that we really get the first one right
0: can you give some insight onto like what other asset classes you're you're looking at or maybe something that you see on the horizon you know i'm open
1: to most asset classes i think right now we're very focused on the collectibles asset classes so of the, the broader market that we people have seen. So anything from watches, sneakers, art, vintage video games, comics, coins, stamps. I mean, we're exploring all of them to understand those markets and see which ones we believe are, are right for disruption, are big markets, really strong collector base as an example. And then, you know, even some more on the more financial side of things that we're really excited about. A lot of our customers also invest in startups and startups is an alternative asset class. People invest in funds. You know, how can we provide liquidity and um, solutions for people who are investing in those? The goal of all long-term, you know, we, we really do want to be this platform where you can get your banking services as well as your alternative financial services. And so, you know, if people in the future... Can think of us as kind of like a Chase Bank or of a Bank of America, but instead of you know us rooted in traditional stocks and bonds, we're guiding you on your alternatives. And so our, we just believe that there's a massive segment of the market that doesn't invest in stocks and bonds, and we want to win them as customers.
0: There's so much there. So I mean, you believe that there's a a, a segment of the population that are, are they current investors? Are are they are we even talking about people that are 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 currently investors in, in, anything, right? Or are you trying to open up this, this, uh, this, uh, investing gateway by saying, Hey, you don't have to put your money in the stock market. You can actually put your money into these items and your money's, I don't want to say just as good, but let's just put it for, for, for argument's sake, your money's going to appreciate in the same way, if not better.
1: Uh, so it's both. So there's already a big customer base and I think we need to showcase that we're building a good enough product. So everyone who is already investing in these assets are coming to us, right? So those are probably going to be our early adopters, but I think it is our job to grow the pie. Like we, we, we do a lot of education across the retail market and the institutional market of telling people the the correlation of these asset classes uh, is very low compared to the S and P. We teach people, you know, why do people buy antique cars? Why do people buy sports cars or Pokemon cars? Why do people buy art? Right? How does that market function? How does how do people think about those dollars in terms of their larger portfolio? These are things that we're, I would say, trying every single day to put out more content and have more conversations on.
0: In my mind, you know, when I was growing up, the, they would tell you the first thing that that depreciates when you buy it is the car. You know, the car is the worst investment that you can make. Yeah. When I was a kid, I used to get these nice sneakers, and what I would do is I'd put them on and beat the heck out of them. You know, uh, go out and play, and so you know it really does take kind of like a, a different perspective, right? Because I wish I had maybe saved some of my sneakers, you know, and, and bought two pairs rather than just one. You know, is this like a new phenomenon? Or do you feel like this has been going on for a while, this idea of these alternative assets?
1: I think they've been going on for decades, to be quite honest, people haven't talked about it enough. And maybe the dollars hadn't gotten to a point where it made sense. But we are at that point, like, everything at the end of the day is scarcity. Even the stock market, we forget sometimes, it, you know, it's, it's a marketplace, meaning like we have all these companies in the stock market that aren't producing any revenue. That's the same thing as buying a like Van Gogh. Like what's the difference, right? It's just potential demand. Who is the seller that will buy after you? And so at the end of the day, all these things are are the same. And so I, I believe even these days, the reason you buy a stock is more of like an ego flex than, you know, especially when retail investors and actually investing it for the sake of it being profitable one day. Like so many of these companies haven't been profitable for 30 something years. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think particularly, I know what trading cards has had, it's kind of recent success over the last four years. I think in general, a lot of these collectibles, it takes around 25 years for the market to really get there. That's mainly because when people are generally buying, these things or getting exposure to them. Sorry, getting exposure. It's usually in the ages of eight to 14. And then when people start getting most of their disposable income, it's usually sometime in their 30s. And so that generally takes around 25 years to to happen. And so when you're you're in your 30s, you're like, oh, I wish I wish I could get that thing when I was a kid that I couldn't get, right? Yeah. Anti-car, trading card, PSA 10 Pokemon, vintage video game.
0: Yeah. You know, you can't mess with that, right? Like you can't mess with your childhood or those feelings of nostalgia. And I think really that's kind of like you touched upon that, you know, you're really touching on that is the power of that, you know, and once you're able to have enough money to kind of go back and and buy these things, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you're you're kind of uh, living these memories that you had as a child, you know, you're kind of going back to your childhood, which I find really interesting.
1: Yeah, there's always a budget that everybody has for nostalgia and things that bring them like a, they evoke a a strong emotional response, right? Everyone does that you look at anyone's balance sheet, they have that. Um, And now that there's a market for that, uh, you, you can dabble in it just like you can do anything else. Like what patterns, what trends are about to to strengthen and weaken and you can you can take bets on it. It's just a, it's another market. It has different dynamics um, and it is kind of reached escape velocity where you can actually get enough liquidity and start uh, taking bets in this space.
0: Great point. You've mentioned before kind of being bullish on, on web three and seeing what's out there. I, I'm wondering if you've looked into NFTs Uh, Right now, I feel like uh, the whole crypto and NFT space is going through some sort of like existential crisis, you know, like, what are we worth, you know, um, if we're not worth this much, right? What are your thoughts on that from a collectible standpoint? So I have a good metaphor for this.
1: We're in the Beanie Baby phase for like NFTs. It's like when all of us thought Beanie Babies were going to be worth everything and then they weren't. That's kind of what NFTs are. There's some that are going to be worth something You know, I love NFTs because of the technology. And I think there's going to be a a lot of really great use cases of how people bring NFTs to market, but just the digital art or the kind of the PFPs, I think they're a a short-term fad. There's a lot of excitement around it, but a market needs to mature. The NFT market right now is far from mature. If anything, it just jumped so quickly, right? We went from like what takes 25 years. We probably went to year 20 already it needs to get some stability. So I'm bullish on it in the next 10 years and 15 years. I'm less bullish on it in the next two years, and especially the the digital art side of
0: things. Why not so much digital art? Like say, again, are we talking about the scarcity? Or are you talking about like, the artists that are kind of just trying to make a living through these through these NFTs,
1: the market, not not any one of these assets. So like, for example, this is the part that I think just because it's an nft doesn't mean that it's worth something right just because i painted something doesn't mean it's worth something right there are people who do this for a living right that category of assets those are real artistry those are going to be worth something right but that market needs to stabilize like how much are people willing to 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 pay for those things what happens during a market correction so their NFTs at that level haven't been around long enough for the asset class to actually like figure out its, its market levels. So it's going to have a lot of volatility associated with it. So that's what I mean. It's just, it's just not, it's not a mature asset class yet.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of how I, I was you know approaching some things, you know, there'd be some artwork that I would see online and, and I, you know, I thought it was really cool, you know, but I'd be, I'd be asking myself like, would you pay an artist at a gallery, you know, $5,000 for this, you know? Especially when there were when there were like ten or fifteen of those being made, I always kind of had to think about it that way. But so the, the price, what, I, what I'm trying to say is, like, I felt like the prices, like you mentioned, just took off. And listen, good for the artist, you know, if they can capitalize on the moment, great for them. And if there's somebody willing to pay that, great for them. But uh, you're right, I, I just never thought it was it was sustainable. And I'm still wondering, and maybe I could get your thoughts on this. Like, I'm still wondering if having a board ape, uh, and I know that that's a different scenario there is a board ape worth $200,000? I don't know. Because there are 10,000 of them. Each one is unique, yes. But what kind of utility are you getting from this besides that, that flex for the most part?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Right now, it is a lot of social capital. I mean, they are trying to build real utility, community, community events, right? It's almost like a subscription model of sorts. Yeah, I don't know yet. That's the thing, right? People are willing to pay anything sometimes for a social flex, right? That's why you can buy like, a Bugatti Veyron for just like crazy amount of money. Right. And you probably never drive that thing. Sometimes I feel like, uh, you know, this is just a very easy social flex. Like if you're on Twitter and you want people to know that you have a lot of money, you buy a board ape, you put it on your, on your profile. And then it's kind of like, okay, that guy spent a lot of money on something that he didn't need to. He must've done something cool.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I can't relate to that car, that car analogy. Uh, leo I drive a minivan. <laughs>
1: I don't drive a car at all. So, but yeah, that's the thing. Everyone collects different things, right? You know, I get excited about basketball cards. Someone else gets excited about cars. There are people who get excited about NFTs. So there's something for everybody. You just need to make sure that there's enough of a marketplace of buyers and sellers to actually sustain that community and market.
0: I want to kind of close off a little bit on, on kind of your thoughts uh, on the current marketplace. And if there's anything else that you want to add, please, by all means, you know, so the cards are also going through a phase right now, right? People got in, let's say they got in when, the, when at the very top, maybe about a year ago or so. And maybe they're wondering, you know, what happened to these cards? We alluded to the Jordan selling for 700K earlier. Now it's, you know, fair market is about 200, 20. You've built businesses before, you know, through ups and downs. What kind of, not financial advice, but what kind of, a, you know, just general advice do you have in these alternative investments as we are in this downturn?
1: Yeah, I think for the average person who is trying to figure out, If I have money to spare right now, where should I uh, invest? I think if you're excited about these asset classes, I think now is a really great time to get in. But you have to have an investment time horizon of at least three to five years, Uh, and you have to be able to withstand the volatility that might come from it. So I, I think it might be the best time to buy some really rare cards in the coming months. If you're just looking at it from an investment perspective and you don't care about these asset classes, then... I would say stick to the really high-end stuff. Again, like buying LeBron right now, Steph Curry, Giannis, and Durant is so low right now. I always see these as buying, as is, is like equity for players. I, I really believe there, there are some amazing players out there. I love buying stock in them, but I wouldn't put your entire net worth in anything, right? I wouldn't put my entire net worth into cards. And so I always tell people like, it's it's really great to have a piece of your portfolio in these assets because the, the correlation is very low, and that's actually what I care about the most—the correlation and the excitement and feelings that I get around these asset classes.
0: That's some great advice. What's next for alt? You know, as you said, you're 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 exploring other kind of alternative assets. What are kind of the next steps there in terms of building? You know, and I, I am really excited about this idea that you say, like, kind of becoming this alternative bank. Um, how do you go about doing that, and and what are those steps that you're taking?
1: Yeah, so I won't reveal too much. We have a lot of big announcements coming in in, in June. Um I'll say we'll, we'll be at nft.nyc which should give an idea of like what are some cool things that we're going to be doing in the, in in June. But you should start seeing the evolution of the brand, the company over the next 6 months. One of the things that like the team has really tried to at least showcase like we love moving quickly. And so we're consistently building, we're putting stuff out there, we're running experiments. Some of the things we we do, we launch it works, some of the things we do, we launch, and it doesn't work, yeah, there's some really big bets that are about to play out in the course of the next six months, and i I don't want to reveal too much just because I think they everyone is going to be really excited when they come out
0: man, that's a great cliffhanger, you know
1: yeah, the marketing team always yell, yells at me because i'm always I'm a transparent person i always I'm so excited about telling everybody what we've been building, but we've been spending six months plus on some of these newer things, and if I spoil me, I might be out of the job. <laughs>
0: Man, well, I'm really looking forward to that. It is really interesting that you did mention that you will be at uh, NFT NYC, seeing what the, what the marketplace has there. But uh, what's another way that people can get in touch with you, Lior? I mean, visiting Alt, where are you active? You know, what social media channels?
1: I'm big on Instagram, uh, so I have my card account, uh, GemsOnly8. So that's probably a, a great place. And then um, I love hearing customer feedback. So if you have any thoughts, you can just email me at Lior at com.
0: Perfect. Are you posting your Hakeem on, on that Instagram?
1: Uh, I do. I post all my cards. I haven't posted the Hakeem yet. I, I actually have to post a big LeBron card. I just bought one of LeBron's best cards. So I'm excited to, to share that with the world.
0: Awesome, man. Looking forward to it. I, I'm going to hop on and check that out. Lior, thanks for the time. Really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck. Yeah.
1: Thanks for having me on and uh, encourage everybody to check out uh, onlyalt.com and uh, buy some cards. Sounds great. Take care, Lior. Have a great
0: day. Lior has big plans for alt, and I can't wait to see them come to fruition. You can tell that he has alt on a different path that will make it one of the mainstays of the alternative asset space. As always, thank you for spending part of your day with us. If you enjoyed today's episode, let others know about it or leave a review or a comment. Until the next time, take care.